Woody Williams is almost 100 years old, and he pretty much works full-time. It gives me some satisfaction that maybe I'm doing something that will give a family that's never had an opportunity to share their grief, their feeling, their loss with another family. His path was set almost 80 years ago when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. So I decided, well, I'm going to join the Marine Corps to just guard my country, never dreaming that I'd have to go to South Pacific to a war or to have to kill people. None of that was in my mind. He fought in one of the bloodiest battles of World War II, and then he came home to West Virginia. There, he turned his attention to others who had been impacted by losing someone in military service. I wanted to interview any relative survivor of uh, somebody that had lost their life in the military. I don't know why I felt more qualified than somebody else, but I did. On this episode of Connected, the AEP Employee Podcast, how Woody Williams became a legend and what he's doing today to make a difference across the country. Thank you for joining us. I'm Bailey Coltice. Herschel Woody Williams is one of the most unique customers in AEP's footprint. At 98 years old, Woody is still working. Before the pandemic, he would spend more than 200 days a year on the road, all in the name of Gold Star Families. A Gold Star family is one that has lost an immediate family member in the line of duty of military service. We're now in all 50 states, and in March of next year, we'll be in Guam. We're going to break ground for one in Guam. I'll be there in June for that groundbreaking. And it continues to spread, and rightly so. Woody's familiar with what it feels like to lose someone in the line of duty. He served in the Marine Corps during World War II and fought in the Battle of Iwo Jima. President Truman awarded Woody the Congressional Medal of Honor for going above and beyond the call of duty during that battle. He's the only Medal of Honor recipient from World War II who is still living. I considered it a job, a responsibility that I had to do, and I fulfilled that responsibility to the best of my ability. Most World War II guys just felt that way. It was just a job to be performed to preserve our freedom and our country, and we did it. Now we're going back to wherever we came from. To understand why Woody is spending his golden years traveling around the country, we have to go back to 1941. Back then, Woody was just a little brother following in his older brother's footsteps. He had joined the Civilian Conservation Corps, an organization created by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal. The program sent young men around the country to work on environmental projects. My brother, next to me, when he was 16, he went in the CCC. When I got to be 16, I thought, well, I'm going to join too because he had a uniform and he had clothes and he had a little bit of money and I didn't have either. I joined thinking I would go with him and they sent me to a different camp in West Virginia and then from there all the way to Montana. So that's where I was when Pearl Harbor was bombed. And uh, of course, they told us on December the 8th, we were going to war. I knew nothing about war. And yet I knew from what we were being told, there's a possibility that somebody's going to try to take our freedom away from us, occupy our country. Woody was 16 when Pearl Harbor was bombed, so he had to wait a few years to join the Marines. When his time finally came and he got to boot camp, Woody didn't have a hard time adjusting to the new military lifestyle. 
He credits this to his upbringing in rural West Virginia, where he was one of 11 kids raised on a dairy farm. We never questioned what we were told. My dad was very firm. He was fair, but he was firm. He made it very clear that he only wanted to tell you one time. He did not want to repeat himself. So you better listen up the first time. So I was raised under that atmosphere. So when I got in the Marine Corps, orders and you know being told what to do was just natural. While Woody's upbringing was an asset for most of military life, there was one transition that was difficult for him to make. You have to take on a different uh, thought process in order to be a military person. We were taught growing up, number one, you follow orders. You didn't question what you were told. And number two, life was very precious. You would do everything in the world you could to preserve that life, even animals. That was a, a requirement. You would do everything in the world to preserve the life of any living thing unless it was food process. Uh, everything else was precious. And you have to learn to change your thinking. Now you're going to be facing individuals and you've been trained that this life is precious. Now you're being trained that you're going to have to take this life if we are to win this war and continue living in a free nation as we've been doing. So it required a complete change of philosophy and belief. Woody will tell you that when he went through boot camp, he didn't know he'd be leaving the United States, let alone traveling halfway around the world. So I decided, well, I'm going to join the Marine Corps to just guard my country, never dreaming that I'd have to go to South Pacific to a war or to have to kill people. None of that was in my mind. My only purpose was to preserve my country and my freedom. It wasn't until I got in the Marine Corps that I learned we're going to fight someplace else. We don't want them coming here. So we're going to the Pacific. I didn't even know we had one, but uh, <laughs> anyway, that's where I ended up. But I really joined just to protect those very precious gifts that somebody else had already given us. From the time he entered boot camp until he left for the South Pacific, there were a lot of unknowns for Woody and the other Marines. While they were able to train for a lot of different situations, there were some things their drill instructors couldn't fully prepare them for. You have no idea what you're getting into. And even though somebody tries to explain to you what combat's like, it, it can't be done. <laughs> I've related it uh, several times in my life. To, my mother had 11 children. No man in the world that can be himself in a position that he would understand what it's like to have 11 kids. Well, I don't care how smart he is. There's no way in the world he can do that. because He can't go through that same pain that my mother or your mother or all mothers go through. Woody spent his entire time as a Marine in the South Pacific. He fought in the Battle of Iwo Jima. During that battle, the Japanese had pinned down Woody's company as they were clearing a path for the infantry. The company needed to move forward in order for the Marines to capture the island. The Japanese had a strong position. They were entrenched in reinforced concrete bunkers that were partially underground. If the company could get past the bunkers, they would have the advantage in the battle. Woody was with the small group of Marines who were tasked with destroying the bunkers. 
The operation was close combat, and as the group fought from bunker to bunker, they lost more men. Eventually, Woody was the last flamethrower operator left standing, so he took over for his fallen team. He used his flamethrower to move from bunker to bunker, destroying the structures and the occupants inside with either explosives or the blast from his flamethrower. By the end of the day, he had destroyed seven bunkers. He was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his actions that day. It was tough. It was very tough. Uh, And those of us that had been taught as we grew up that you never take a life, unless it would be, of course, to preserve your own life or the life of a loved one. But those things happen so infrequently, you just never even thought about them. But now you're going to have to do that if you are going to survive and if we are going to, as I said, preserve our way of life. As Woody said earlier, it's impossible to understand what combat's like if you haven't experienced it yourself. One way to gain more perspective on how people can do the things they do during war is to think about the strong relationships that develop when staying alive means relying on those around you. We were taught you are responsible. As a Marine, you are responsible for the guy on your right and the guy on your left. And they, too, are responsible the same way. So that drew us together in a fellowship and a close relationship that we have never had with anybody else because the danger was not there. My own brothers, you know, I would have taken up for them or they would have taken up for me. But to say that I would be responsible for their activities, no, that just never developed in a family. But in in the military, it does develop. You are responsible for that person. I've had I had some that were even closer than my own brothers, really, uh, because we really depended on each other more so than my brothers and I depended on each other. Uh, Vernon Waters, he got killed on Iwo Jima. I never forgot that. I still haven't forgotten it, and I never will, because it was just like losing a brother, really. And it's something you just never forget. The emotion of it subsides over years, but it's still there. And there will be things come by or things happen that will occasionally remind you that it's still there. You haven't forgotten, and you never will. After the war, Woody returned to West Virginia. He got a job as a veterans counselor with the Veterans Administration. It was this job that put him on the path to what he's doing today. I let it be known that I wanted to interview any relative survivor of uh, somebody that had lost their life in the military. And I wanted to be that person to do the interviewing. I don't know why I felt more qualified than somebody else, but uh, I did, and I'll have to admit that. So I talked to a tremendous number of individuals who lost their son or their husband or their brother or relative and uh, assisted them in obtaining the benefits that the government provided. So that left a lasting impression on my mind as I would uh, continue to work because families suffered more than even we veterans. Even though some of us were severely wounded, we still got home. We're still here. But their loved one 
Is it? In the United States, there's a tradition for people to hang white flags with a blue star in their window when someone they love is on active duty. During World War I, mothers started changing those blue stars to gold when they lost a loved one in active duty. The organization Gold Star Mothers was created in 1928 by mothers who had lost their sons during World War I. Up until the conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq, Gold Star Mothers were really the only people recognized for their loss. When these new conflicts started, more young people joined the armed forces. They saw combat and more families experienced life-changing tragedy. Nothing had ever been done other than identifying Gold Star Mothers. And there's no one closer to children than mom. We know that. But nobody had ever mentioned Gold Star Dad. Why? Sometimes that dad was a widower. And sometimes he was the person who received that knock on the door and that message from the military. One of the fathers that I encountered way back in 2008 or something like that, he was the only son of his family, and both his parents were deceased. He had only one boy, and the mother died of cancer pretty early. So he was a sole surviving person of his son. And his son, when he got to be 18, said he wanted to go in the military. So he did and lost his life in Afghanistan. So dad was home alone, and he is the person that got the knock on the door. He had nobody to grieve with. He had nobody to talk to. He didn't know another Gold Star family member in the community, and he lived in a good-sized community, 30,000, 40,000 people, but he didn't know anybody else that had lost a loved one because there was no association or communication between these people. This was one of the interactions that led Woody to begin working on behalf of Gold Star families. He started small by focusing on what he could do in his home state of West Virginia. This father told me that he had lost a son and that he was home alone. So I decided we need to do something in West Virginia to recognize those over 11,000. And I asked if we could put a memorial, a Gold Star family memorial in the cemetery. And they approved it. And we put the very first one in West Virginia and the very first one in the whole United States of America. So this drew the families together. And when we would have a dedication of a memorial, families would come. All the relatives of that individual that that memorial represented would be there. And they began to get acquainted with each other. Now they know that there are other people in that community who also suffered the same way they did. They lost a loved one. And we thought after we did the very first one, we're done. We've done what we should have done. Information about the monument made it online, and a man from Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, called Woody. The man had lost his father during the Vietnam War and wanted to have a monument like the one in West Virginia installed in Valley Forge. That was well over a decade ago. And from there, Woody and his family created the Woody Williams Foundation. The group is dedicated to honoring, recognizing, and serving Gold Star families and preserving the legacy of their loved ones who made the ultimate sacrifice. The main way they do this is by building monuments and holding outreach events for families. And while the idea started with Woody, it's now taken on a life of its own. We have got 87 of these already installed and dedicated. 
And we're not doing it. The people in the community are doing these things. All we're doing is furnishing information to them and setting up some sort of a standard that they can follow to get it done. We've got 164 more communities that are working to find a place, raise money, establish a committee. The monuments provide a space that is specifically for families, and it gives them something they've never had before. Grief is like any kind of an emotional factor. If you keep it all to yourself, it, it just keeps gnawing at you. But if you can share that emotion and that feeling with somebody else, and you can experience their same kind of feeling and emotion, it gives you a, I'll call it a fellowship, that may be not the right term, but it causes a closeness between those families that they've never had before. They've never been able to share with each other or with others the grief that they have experienced. And this gives the Gold Star families a, a place. And it's untold in my mind how many times after we dedicate a memorial and the monument is standing there in black, black granite, mothers or fathers or relatives of whatever nature would walk up and lay their hand on that monument because that represents their loved one. That is their remembrance, their recognition, their honor for sacrificing a loved one for the rest of us. The experiences of veterans and their families are varied and complex, though there's one thing that we can all understand. When you lose a loved one, your life does move on, but it moves on with a hole in it. Nothing can ever really fill that hole. But there are things we can do to lessen the pain of that loss. One way of doing this is by talking about the loved ones we've lost and recognizing their lives. It gives me some satisfaction that maybe I'm doing something that will give a family that's never had an opportunity to share their grief, their feeling, their emotions, their loss with another family. And now they can do that because there is a place where they can go and know that this represents their loved one. And the satisfaction that comes from that is just unreal. And it's always very emotional. I don't know whether I would consider myself an emotional person or not, but I guess most people would. But seeing those families come together and hug each other and become acquainted with each other and sharing with each other. There is nothing that can take that place in your heart and in your feelings. Thank you to Woody Williams for speaking with me for this piece and for his service to our country. If you're a veteran at AEP and you need support, AEP has a Military Veterans Employee Resource Group. You can learn more about this group by going to the Diversity and Inclusion page on AEP Now. This episode couldn't have happened without a little help. First, I'd like to thank Chris White from AEP's Aviation Department. Chris flies Woody to attend some of the groundbreakings and dedications for Gold Star Family Monuments. And Chris is the person who put me in contact with Woody. 
I'd also like to thank Woody's grandson, Brent, and his daughter, Tracy, for coordinating and facilitating our interview. If you liked today's episode, make sure to follow or subscribe to the show through your app. We post new stories every other week. Thank you for listening and stay safe.